Amen. Good time of worship. Man, I am glad to be home. I hope you're glad that I am home, but Calvary is my home now. And uh, I'm just glad to be home. I'm glad to be home where the food is what I'm familiar with. I've been to India uh, over there preaching the gospel and changing uh, hope, but not well, the Word of God is hopefully changing lives and, um, and encouraging pastors. We did a lot of it. I got to train a couple hundred pastors for uh, about three days, just all day long and into the night. They would go as long as you would go. And I do like that about it, and uh, it was incredible. So if um, <clears throat> go ahead and open your Bibles up to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. But as you're turning there... Uh, I want to commend you, and uh, some of you are visiting today also, and if you kind of wondering, like, wonder what kind of church this is, let me give you a good little taste of the heart of the Calvary Baptist Church. One of the things that our uh, denomination, Southern Baptists, do every year, and have for years and years, we always take up an annual offering for missions, for international missions. Not a penny of it stays here, none of it, not one penny of it stays in our church. And so last year we set what was a bold goal for our church and the size of members that we have, the number of members. <coughs> and, um, and so last year we exceeded that goal, and that was incredible. But this year when I went to our mission folks, some of them and said, what do you think we ought to do this year? They set a goal, and I said, man, I don't know if we'll get there. I mean, I didn't say that verbally. I just said it kind of to myself. And, uh, but we set a goal of $15,000. Let me tell you something. Working together, praying together, caring about the world more than we care about ourselves, we exceeded that goal last year. $15,000. So in the day when uh, Southern Baptist churches across our land, sad to say, across our land are sad to say in decline, this church is not. It is a passionate church that loves the world, that loves God, loves others, and spreads the word. Amen. And uh, frankly, we try to put our money where our mouth is <clears throat> by sending out a lot of our finances out to the field as much as we possibly can. And so I, I'm excited about that. I, I mean, that's another goal. And, and we're packed out, and we know that. We know it's tight, and we're working on that. I didn't get off the plane maybe six, seven hours, and I sent an email to our architects and said, I'm back, you know, from India, so I need an update on what we're doing on the new property. And so he stopped by, our architect did this week, talked with Vernon and myself, and we're going to be getting our Long Range Planning Committee back together to begin to discuss some programming and needs and size. We have some property that we are going to build on, and we're going to see God move. And uh, I am both hands on the plow, committed as your pastor, for the long haul, so like me or not, I'm going to be here a long time, unless you just out and out fire me, and, uh, but I tell you, I'm really committed, and I'm fired up and excited, and we're not doing any of this so that we get a good name or a big name, but we are very passionate that Jesus gets a big name in our community, and that the glory of God is shown to people who just don't know it. Now, I do want to encourage you, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a small group teacher, and don't let the name fool you. Sunday school is for everybody. It's not just for children. Sunday school. But our director, Betty Crump, and myself, we've planned a time for you uh, this coming Saturday from 8.30 until 11.45. Uh, and we will walk out of here at 11.45. I promise you, if you'll give me that morning 
I want to invest a good portion of uh, my time and energy in you. I've got a free book for you. Our studies are going to be on that book. And I'm going to teach you some great, great, great tips from one of my professors, Dr. Terry Powell, who will also be here. He's the author of the book uh, that we're going to use as a basis for our teacher training. Terry's going to come and he'll invest some time. He won't be here this Saturday, but the next time we do a training session, Terry will be here. Uh, the author of the book, and uh, we're going to invest in you. If you want to teach the Word of God, or you've ever thought about like leading the Bible, even a home discussion group, whatever, I don't care. Please come. Please come. It's open to everyone. It's required for Sunday school teachers. If you're a Sunday school teacher and you can't get here, call the office, let us know, because we're planning on you being here. And uh, teaching God's Word is a great responsibility. So I want to invest in you and help you with that. But uh, that's this coming Saturday, 8.30 to 11. 11.45. Now, we've got a new year in front of us. There's no surprise to you. I laughed when you guys started singing the Christmas song. I was like, and I came in this morning and I realized I put those up and I saw the Christmas banners. But you know what? It was good for me to remember Christmas because for me, I left two days after Christmas on December 27th, headed out on a plane about a third of the way across the Atlantic Ocean. A guy stood up on the plane and said, I'm going to kill everybody on this plane. 20, 19, 18, 17. Started counting down. Honest to God. I'm not, I didn't see it. <laughs> if I'd have seen it. Now, I'm not a tough guy, but I guarantee you, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a, a lame duck either. I wouldn't have let him get to about 17 myself. But he literally stood there and said that. He said, I'm going to kill everybody on this plane. Started counting down. Two sky marshals, thank God, got up and put what we, what we call a good old west side beat down on him. And, uh, well, they did. I'll tell you, they shackled him, his legs, his arms, and when he strapped him to a seat, and while they were holding him down, one of them grabbed a little pouch, had a pin, popped it in his leg, and he went to nap. <laughs> and uh, he did. I've never been so thankful for law enforcement in my life. Um, I was so grateful. And uh, I started to say, do you now have an extra one of those? Because uh, I needed that too, man. I was hyped up. And I was literally saying, if I ever get off this plane, pilot comes on, we got to turn around, going back to Philadelphia. I said, if I ever get it on there, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm on a hijacked plane. Because we couldn't see it. All we heard was the announcement. They were going back to clean up some blood and do other stuff, they said. And I'm going, oh my gosh, you know, a couple of crew members got hurt. And uh, we've got to get them some medical attention. And I'm just going, I can't believe this. I'm going on a mission strip. And I'm on a hijacked plane. I'm actually going to be like on one of these movies or something. But it ain't going to be good. And I probably won't get to see the movie. I'm serious. I'm like, I'm actually on a hijacked plane. I mean, can you imagine 35, 39,000 feet high? Four to five hours over the Atlantic Ocean and this is going on. And I'm thinking, if they ever get it on the ground, I'll never get on another. Because <laughs> I didn't know what was going to happen. Oh, we're facing a new year. We don't know what's going to happen. Now, everything turned out all right. Because Jesus is Lord, I did get back on the plane. The very same plane. But you know, most of us are just afraid of the unknown, aren't we? I mean, it, it freaks us out. It's when we don't know what's going to happen that really freaks us out. And it causes fear in our lives. And so we don't know what's certain for certain this year is going to bring. 
None of us know. We don't know. We really do not. But when we face the unknown, it produces fear. That's the one thing. When we face the unknown, it tends to produce fear in our hearts. And when you don't know what's happening, you will be afraid. I want to read Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, as we think about a, a new year, a new year without fear. Because we don't know what's going to happen this year. In the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, you read these words. Let your conduct, let your conduct be without covetousness. I'm not sure if you know what coveting is, but it's when you see something and you want it and you desire it and you turn it over and over and then you start craving it and you start really wanting it. Let your conduct, he's writing to Christians, be without covetousness. Be content. And that's a deep word. That means to be, not just to be like, well, I'm okay with what I got. I, I thought about the old uh, carnation milk commercials. You remember that? Carnation is from what kind of cows? Contented. Uh, well, yeah, contented. Happy cows. That's the deal they used to advertise it all about. doesn't mean just to be like, yeah, grudgingly, I'm okay with, you know, a little bit the Lord's given me. It means to be satisfied, really satisfied in your heart with what you have. Be content with such things as you have. Here's why. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, why? Because he said this. Then we can, because he said I'll never leave you, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now we don't know what's going to happen this coming year. And that can cause fear. But we do know some things from this passage. I want to share some things with you this morning that we can know. That we can be certain or sure of. That we can be bold about. Number one, you can write it down. The Lord will meet your needs this coming new year. Now, this is a promise from God. No matter what happens, no matter what comes, God will meet my needs. Not my wants necessarily, but everything that I need, every need you have, God will meet it. Now, verse 5, notice, let your way of life, let your conduct be without covetousness. In other words, you don't have to be grasping. You and I don't have to be searching. We don't have to be wanting and, and desiring and coveting. We can be content with the things that we have. We can rest in the fact that God is going to give us what we need. Discontentment. Discontentment is a serious disease. It can take away your joy. It will take away your peace in the Lord to be discontented with where you are and what you have. Discontentment is a serious disease. Now, to the opposite, contentment. Contentment, let me explain a little bit about it. Contentment is not the idea of getting what you want. It is being thankful for what you already have. Your heart is filled. See, contentment can make a poor man or woman rich. But discontentment, every time, will make a rich man poor. It doesn't matter what you have. Doesn't matter how much you have. If you're discontented, you'll be poor. You'll still think and act like a poor person. You'll still be coveting. You'll still be grabbing. And, and 
And, and so understand this. Now, contentment can take the poorest man, the poorest woman, but you'll see them and they'll have joy in their heart. They'll have peace in their heart. They don't have everything that they want. They don't have everything they can desire at times. But the truth is they have what they need. They are contented. And so they have a richness of spirit that's unbelievable. But I'll tell you, discontentment can make a rich person poor. Put us in a prison. You know, sometimes we get our needs and our, and our wants confused, don't we? You ever wanted something and thought you needed it, and then you got it, and you figured out it wasn't what you needed at all? You ever had that? We've all had that. It was like two tears. I heard about two tears that met one another on the river of life. One tear said to the other tear, where are you from? Where did you come from? That tear said, I am the tear of a girl who loved a man and lost him. And where are you from, by the way? The other tear said, I'm the tear of the girl who found him and married him. <laughs> right? Sometimes we think we want something, but we really don't. We really don't. You know, the Bible says this in another place that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. Now, godliness is a good thing. To know the Lord and to be godly, and that's a great thing. But listen, if you know the Lord Jesus, that's a good thing. But if, but if you know Jesus and you can honestly say, I am content, I am fulfilled, that is a great thing. The Bible's clear about anything. It says this. We brought nothing into this world. Nothing into this world. And it is certain, the Bible says, that we shall take nothing out. Uh, we always joke and say, you never, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. <laughs> you know, you're not going to take anything with you. But now listen to it. We brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can take nothing out. So, here's what the Scripture says. So, having... Food and clothing, let us be content. Not just, not just, you know, settled for it, but, but happy with it. Thankful in it. Why? Listen, here's why. If you have something on your back and something in your stomach and Jesus in your heart, that is so much more than so many people in this world have. So much more. And no matter how many riches you have, what would it profit you if you were to gain the whole world and amass all this stuff and yet you didn't know Jesus? You hear about a, I heard about a little boy, he just loved pancakes. Loved pancakes. And one day his mother said, you know what, it's his birthday, I'm just going to satisfy him, I'm going I'm to really help him, I'm going to make him all the pancakes. He, boy, she brought him a great big old... Little Johnny, a great big stack of pancakes, and man, the first few bites, he was tearing those things up and eating them, and he ate that stack so quick, and they were just great. And his heart, he said, oh, that's great. She said, do you want some more? He said, yeah, Mama, yeah, I sure do. And she cooked him a whole other stack, and he started eating those. But halfway through them, he started slowing down a little bit. You know, he started slowing down. He's, they were good. They were still great to him, but they just weren't as good as they were at first, and he finished that stack. He still liked them, but not as much as the first stack. And then she put some more on there, boy. Another stack. She was just going to fix them as long as he would eat them. And he ate another stack. But boy, the last bites just lay there. And they started to congeal, you know. And he, he finally, he's forcing them down. And he finally finished the last one. And she looked at him. She said, Johnny, do you want another pancake? You know what he said? He said, no, ma'am. 
He said, I don't even want the ones I already ate. <laughs> now, isn't that true about so many things in our life? I don't even want the ones I've already got. I don't even want the things I've already digesting. I don't even want, oh, this is killing me. And we get confused. We, we really do. And riches and, uh, and things like that, they're nice to have, but they can never satisfy the deepest longing of our souls. Some of the loneliest people, some of the most heartbroken people that I've ever met were people who had everything they could ask for, monetarily. And yet there was an emptiness in their soul. They never were content. And sometimes the more you get, the more you want. The more you get, the more you want. And, and, and then there's no satisfying to that. This world can never satisfy the deepest longings of the human heart. The Lord Jesus himself said these words, Beware, take heed and beware of covetousness. Beware of covetousness. Beware of what you want. Beware of what you desire. Beware. It's okay to have wants and desires, but don't let them control you. Why did he say that? Because a man's life, a woman's life, does not consist in the abundance of things they own. You know why we get fearful? You know why? A lot of reasons, but here's a main one. As to this, the future. Here's why we really fear. We fear, we get nervous that the things that we want or need are going to be taken away from us. That's why we get fearful, because well, I want this, or I need this, and, and I'm not getting it, or I won't get it. And we, get, we fear that the things we need are going to be taken away. But listen now, I want you to understand this. If you are a child of God, God has promised, He has promised that I will be with you this year. And I will promise that He, I will give you the things that you need. Amen. You don't have to worry about that. If you're a child of God, there's not a thing in this world. Listen, there's not a thing in this world. The Bible says if He spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall we not with Him freely give us all things? If God the Father would give Jesus his own son for you, what else would he not give you? What need could you have? You had a need for Jesus, and that cost him his own son, and he gave it to you. Gave him to you. Why would he not meet some other need? And so he promises this year, if you're my child, you will have every need met this coming year. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. Now, number two, here's another truth you can count on this coming year. Find it in the second half of verse 5. The Lord of glory himself, the creative God of all eternity, will be with you this year. Not only is every need going to be met, but he's going to be with you if you know him. Verse 5 says this, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with the things you have. Now listen, for he himself has said... I will never leave you. Amen? Listen, you don't know what's going to happen this coming year. I don't know. I don't know what we'll face. I don't know what sickness is. I don't know what challenges. But here's what I know. You can know one thing for sure. He will never leave you. He will never leave you. <laughs> Folks, this to me may be the most encouraging verse in all of the Bible. What else could be greater? He himself has said, I will never leave you. In the original construction of the Greek language on this, the Bible in which the New Testament was written, you can't see it in English, but listen, this, this verse has five 
negatives in it. Five. Now, in the English, a double negative is a bad thing. If you say, I ain't got none, which we all down here say, right? <laughs> ain't got none. What does that mean? It means you don't have any. But if you ain't got none, the truth is you do have some, right? So it's the opposite of it. But not to confuse you. But in the Greek, it wasn't that way. So anytime something was doubled like a negative, it, it just strengthened it. But Jesus didn't double this when he said it five times, he said. Five times. Here's what it literally translated is what it says. I will never, no, no, not ever, no, never leave you or forsake you. Can you imagine Jesus standing there and saying that five times? It was a grandmother, grandmother elderly. Her son was in, grandson was in seminary and he was trying to explain this to her. She was about to have surgery and he was trying to give her comfort and telling her this had five negatives in it. The old grandma laid there. She trusted the Lord all of her life. She said, well, he may have to say it five times for you young Greek boys, but for me, if Jesus says it once is enough. Amen? <laughs> I mean, it is. The creator of this universe has looked at you and he has said, I will never leave you. Now, you and I know. You and I know that his word is good. Amen? Amen. And, 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 and he has said, I'll never leave you. So what does that tell me? This coming here, listen. When I'm discouraged, his presence will lead me through. When I am and encourage me, when I'm confused and don't know what to do and which way to go this coming year, His presence will show me the way. When I am lonely, His very presence will cheer me up. When I am worried, His presence will calm my fears. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is a promise for him, from Him. There was a great missionary to Africa. His name was David Livingston. Most of you have heard of David. He was the first believer to enter that continent for Jesus. The first one. Nobody else there was a Christian. He was surrounded in the deepest, darkest jungle one night. I read his journal recently. Phenomenal. One night, he was surrounded in the jungle all by himself. All by himself. These people practiced all kinds of witchcraft and animism and spiritism and and they were headhunters. And he's surrounded. And one night in the jungle, they were surrounded. And he could hear them moving. And he could hear the war drums playing. That meant the next morning they were going to kill him. They hated the gospel and they hated him. All alone, deep in the jungle, he could hear them playing those drums. And they were going to attack the next morning. This is what David Livingston wrote in his journal. On that very night, I felt, and I quote, I felt much turmoil of spirit. That all of my plans for reaching these people for the gospel might be stopped by my being killed tomorrow. Now imagine sitting in a campfire in the middle of the jungle alone and hearing people surround me. He said, I fear. My, I, my spirit is in turmoil. But then he writes this, and I quote, But Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore... And teach all nations. And lo, I am with you always. Even to the ends of the earth. And David Livingston, encouraged by Christ, said, and I quote, I will not turn back. I will not flee. 
Though this may be my last night here, I feel quite calm now. You and I need to understand that the Lord Himself has promised to be with you this coming year. And focus on verse 5. Look at the phrase, how it's worded. I hope your translation words it this way because it's, it's accurate. In verse 5, it not only says he has said, it says he himself has said. There is an emphasis on this of, of who is promising. You and I know now, we've been living long enough to know this, a promise is only as good as the person who makes it. Amen. Right? <laughs> now, who is it that said, I will never, never, no, ever, never leave. Who is it? It's the creator of this universe. It's the very true and honest Son of God, the eternal Son of God. I remember when I was first in ministry, maybe about three or four years into the ministry, new pastor, young, didn't know much, had a man in the church that hated me. I mean, he hated me. He began to, to work against me. He began to to lie and tell all sorts of things that weren't true. Began to challenge me openly once in a meeting with all of our church leaders. This man who appeared to everybody to be a very respectable man. Uh, been in the church a long time. Right in front of everybody. Called me a liar. Began to tell lies on me and make false accusations against me. I mean, the things he said was unbelievable. I'll tell you something. I was so tired and I've been attacked so much. Most of you never know this. You thought I left Calvary as a preacher boy and had a good, easy time. I was in the middle of a war. And I'm telling you, it was so discouraging. And it began to spread around that room. I just, I finally stood up and said, look, guys, it's impossible. That's not true, but it's impossible for me to defend myself. The more I do, the more I sound guilty. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to ask you guys to do. You just stay here. You do all you want to do. But I'm just going to go home and give you guys privacy to discuss it. You pray about it. You decide. I got in my car. I had an old raggedy. Raggedy was a gift. I had an old raggedy Ford Fairmont at that point. I was riding down the road. I was going down to camp. I was discouraged. I really didn't know ministry was going to be like that. I really thought everybody loved Jesus and everybody loved pastors. I had had a wonderful pastor and I couldn't imagine not loving him and respecting him, much less disrespecting him. I knew the things that were being lied about me and told about me were not true. They were not true. And yet people were listening. And I can remember it. I was riding home. I got in my car and my heart was broke. I thought, this is not what I bargained for, God. I'm riding down the road and I can see it must have been spring or summer because corn was full grown. I can still see the image in my mind. And I was weeping and crying and I kept my wife and kids insulated from this stuff. I didn't let them hear the junk that goes on behind the scenes. And I'm riding home and I'm heartbroken and I remember telling God as plain as day, I'm sitting there talking with him and I said, Lord, I was weeping. I said, that's it. I quit. I quit. There must be somebody somewhere who wants a pastor that will preach the word. And I'm not perfect, but God, I can't take this. I quit. And just as clear, listen, as a call to the ministry, as clear as I've never heard the voice of God audibly. It was a lot louder than that. God's spirit. All I heard was this in my mind. I said, I quit. I quit. 
I heard God say to me, did I not call you? And I remember saying, because I knew what he meant when he said that. I knew I'd lost the argument on when he said that right then. And I said, yeah, you called me, but I don't care. But I knew I did care. And I knew what he was saying was, you listen to me. I called you, and I'll tell you when you can quit. Amen. And I couldn't quit. And I went back, and I'm so glad I did, and fought battles, and saw thousands of people saved, and thousands of churches planted in India and all over this world, and lives changed. But I'll tell you one thing. I was discouraged. I just want you to know. But he came. His presence. He guided me. He himself was with me. When my wife couldn't have talked me into staying, no pay raise would have talked me into staying, no, no convenience would have talked me into staying, no human being could have talked me into staying. God said, listen, I'm with you. And I called you. You're not quitting. I think of the old song, I've seen the lightning flashing, I've heard the thunder roll, I've felt sin's waves crashing, trying to conquer my soul. But I have heard the voice of Jesus telling me still, fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Amen. Never alone, never alone. He has promised never to leave me alone. And he's promised the same thing to you. Alexander McLaren was a great Scottish preacher and in one of his sermons he told a story about something that happened to him. He's just a young boy. He had gotten a job away in uh, the city. He lived out on the farm. He was a young boy. But he didn't have a horse to ride to work and he had to walk back and forth to work. He would go there and work all week and then walk home. It was about six or eight miles and he walked to the job. When he's leaving on his first week to go away, his father came to him and said, Alex, when Friday comes, I want you to walk home because your mother and I will have missed you and we want you to come home. Between the city and the farm where he lived, there was a deep ravine, a dark, like a pass they had to go through and chasm robbers were there and he tells the story and he says it was dark, you couldn't see and there were corners where people could lunge out at you and some people had actually been murdered down in that deep ravine and as a 16 year old boy he could imagine other things that had never happened right he knew coming from that city he'd have to go back through that ravine on Friday night he didn't want to walk through it at night time he said to his father dad I'll tell you what I'm going to be tired on Friday night so what if I just spend Friday night there then I'll come home Saturday morning and you know what his father said no no, Alex, your mom and I will have missed you. We want you to come home Friday night. So you know what he said, Alexander McLaren said, yes, sir. Friday night came, got off work, began to walk towards the farmhouse. His heart was just beating, just thumping, because he knew he was going to have to go through that dark ravine, through that valley. He said, first of all, I began to whistle, <laughs> make myself feel better, but he said, that didn't help much. And then he said, I started talking to an imaginary companion. So if somebody was in the dark, they would think there were two of us. You know, but then he said he got to that ravine and he said I just looked down into that dark valley and I paused and I didn't want to go down in there and it was so dark I couldn't hardly see my hand in front of my face then he said I heard something 
And he said, I saw something stirring down there in the dark. He said, I was so frozen with fear that I could not move. And he said, out of that dark, I saw it with my own eyes. A form began to come toward me. And he said, as I began, my eyes began to adjust. I was able to make it out. You know who it was? It was his father. Coming up out of that ravine. He said, Alex, I came to meet you. I was so lonely for you. I came to meet you. And I just thought we could walk home together. And Alexander McLaren said, and I quote, you will never know the difference that made. With my dad there by my side, we walked through that valley. And he said, and I quote, I had not a fear in this world because my own dear father was there by my side. Now, I don't know what you're going to face this year. I don't know what you're going to have to go through. Sickness, heartache, trouble. But I know, I know, I know that I know that I know you, if you know Christ, can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do to me. And to lead us into this new year without fear, I want us to do the very thing together that will remind us that He will be with us. I want us to partake in communion, and I want to get our deacons, if you could, that are serving, just to come forward, just stand right on up, and just come forward. Now, what we do in the Christian church is this. We have elements that will be passed around. We call them the elements. They represent, they are bread, and uh, just come right on forward, guys. Just come right here around where you're going to dispense. Just come on. And, uh, we have the bread and we have the cup. It's non-fermented. And if you're a believer, we invite you as a reminder that He is with you. That He, will, he is so close to you that He is inside of you. That's what communion is about. To celebrate the fact that He will never leave us. We will never be alone. And so this represents His body. Broken for us. I remind you, Brother Steve, that Jesus paid it all. That God the Father loved us and gave us His own Son. Greater love has no man than this, John. Brother Jim, this is how much He loves you. Brother Ken, that He was broken his body for us. Brother Wayne, that he sacrificed his body for us. Brother Glenn, by his stripes, we're healed. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. So go ahead and distribute these to the body. And if you're a believer, please take a piece of the bread and just hold it until we get ready to partake of it.
just remembering that he is with us gives us hope this year. Amen? Amen. He loves you. He gave himself for you. Greater love has no man than, than what Christ displayed for you and for me. Let's eat. Christ to pay the price, the penalty for all of our sins. And so his precious blood poured out for our sin. Jesus Christ, the righteous, crucified. Where God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. It's finished. He alone is worthy. He became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. They pierced his hands and feet. Would go ahead, please, and distribute the cup which represents the blood of the Lord Jesus shed for all of us.
absolutely amazing that he would shed his blood for us, isn't it? Uh, I ask you, you look at this that represents his gift. You tell me if he'll give you this, he's not going to meet every need you have. Amen? Amen? Let's go forward in this year remembering he is in us. He lives in us by his spirit and he will never leave us. There is not one need that will not be met. Not one. Not one. Not one. Father, we thank you so much for your willingness to give up your own dear son. You were willing to let your own son be crucified on our behalf to win us back, to make our way back to heaven. When we have willfully walked away from you and snubbed our noses at you, full of sin, deserving of hell, you were willing to let your son go pay the price. And Lord Jesus, you were willing to do that. No man took your life from you. You laid it down freely for us because of love. The book of Ephesians says, because of the great love wherein with he loved us, we have redemption. And what a great God you are. What a great Savior. There's none like you. And the Holy Spirit, thank you for making this real to us. Thank you, Lord, that we can come here today on the beginning, near the beginning of a new year. And with great boldness, we can say, the Lord is my helper. Whom shall I fear? No one. No one. So, Lord, thank you for this great reminder. Thank you for this great church and for a great destiny that is ours in Christ. Remind us ever, ever remind us of who we belong to, of whose we are. We belong to you. And you never forsake a child. Never. And if our Father is with us, we can walk through any valley without a fear. As we just know you're with us. And you will hold our hand. We don't even have to hold yours. You, you hold on to our hands. As a good, perfect Father does for his children. And Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if we could, I want us to do something just a little bit. We're going to close right now. We had a closing invitation hymn, right? And we have the words for that up here, correct? So what I want you to do just as an act of worship, if you need prayer, you may come forward. But I want you to sing this song just to him. Will you do that? Just sing it, make it a prayer. If you need to talk to him or do whatever. But this is, this is a great worship song. And, and so you guys can go ahead and be seated. And uh, I'm going to be right here. But let your response, when you sing this song, maybe you don't sing a lot, maybe whatever. You don't have to sing out loud, but sing it to him who died for you, okay? Will you just imagine him glorified, risen, still caring enough to meet every need you have this year. And then let's sing it to him in worship. Let's stand together.
isn't his sweet presence awesome? It just should comfort us and just should bring peace to our hearts. Just to feel it and remind ourselves that he's right beside us. He will never leave us. Lord, we thank you. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are with us in this crazy, mixed-up world where we often don't sense your presence. That's not your fault. That's ours. Help us to remember this week that you are always with us, that every need will be supplied, that you yourself have given us your word that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, so that we may live boldly and proclaim the Lord is with us. Boldly, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what will happen to me. Lead us, Lord, into this new year without fear. Thank you for this great reminder. Thank you for this church, this fellowship of believers. Unite us, strengthen us, help us to go out in your name and live like the church ought to live. I'm talking about living boldly, Lord. I'm not talking about keeping a bunch of rules. I'm talking about going out boldly and proclaiming the good news. We're, 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 we're not here except to see the glory of God take over this community. Like you so love to do and long to do. And again, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.